So we're in this series. We started it last week. If you weren't here last week, we started a series called Church Things. The reason we started a thing called Church Things is simply this. If you didn't grow up in church, there's things that can happen in church that can seem peculiar to you. Some of you have talked to me, and there's things that you didn't grow up in church, like, wow, why do you guys do that? And then there's things that if you did grow up in church can be really, really familiar to you, right? And so you do these things. You're like, man, I've experienced that. I've experienced that all of my life. And here's what we said last week. We said those things, for those of you who grew up in church that seem all too familiar to you, those things, once you invite a guest to come sit beside you for the first time, all of a sudden you can see why those things that are familiar to you might be peculiar to them. And so that's why we're doing this series, because there's things that happen that if you didn't grow up in church, you might scratch your head and say, why in the world did they do that? Why in the world do they have four people come forward with these straw baskets, pass these baskets, people put money into those baskets? Why do they do that every week? We're going to talk about that. Why in the world do they sing every week? Why do they invite others? to involve themselves in singing? Why do some people raise their hands? Why do they do that every week? Why is there somebody opening the door? Why do people say hi to me? Why in the world do they encourage us to get into groups? Why in the world do they do what they do in church? And here's what I know. Some of you grew up in church and, and you might go to a different church. Maybe you came to this church from another church and some of the things that we do might seem peculiar to you because just because you grew up in church doesn't mean that every church does things the same. I'm a pastor, right? Been a pastor for about 25 years, and I found that to be true. A few weeks ago, I preached at a church, this little church in, in Barberton. They, they needed somebody to fill in for them. One of our guys uh, came and asked me if I could do it, and someone else was preaching here, and so I went and filled in, and I was going to preach, and I showed up at that church, right? I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. They kind of figured he kind of knows what to do, right? And so I enjoyed being there. I showed up, found somebody looked like they were in charge, and they said, hey, we're glad you're here, and you're substituting for pastor so-and-so, and so we just assume you're going to do everything he does. And I'm like, well, I assume I know what he does, but at where I'm, where I'm the pastor at, I get up and preach. Everybody else does everything else, right? I, I get up and preach. That's what I do. And they said, oh, no, no, there's a lot more that we need you to do this morning, right? And I said, you better fill me in. They said, there's a special place that you sit. I said, there is? And they had up on the stage this like throne. It was like a throne that I sat on. I'm like, the, well, Grace Church doesn't provide a throne for me, you know? And so I said, okay, I'll make sure I sit there. Well, you got to be there a little bit before the service starts. I'm like, okay, I'll be there. And then they said this, then when we take the offering up, we bring that up and you look at it and then you pray over it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to remember that. And then they gave me six or seven other things that I was supposed to do in the service. I was so nervous. I didn't even remember what I was preaching about, man. I remember when the service started, man. We don't do things this way here. I was so out of my element. I remember I just sat on my throne, okay, and I looked at the person that was in charge, the person who told me what to do, and every time that person looked at me and went like this, I stood up and prayed. I didn't know what else to do. I just stood up and prayed. <laughs> Guys, I'm not kidding you. This is, this is as true as I can stand here. I prayed seven times in that one-hour service, man. I just kept standing up and praying. I prayed for everything I could think to pray for in that service. You see, here's the thing. Here's the thing, just because you grew up in church doesn't mean that every church does things the way that you're used to them doing them. That's why we're having this series, because I want to take what is peculiar to some of you and make it familiar, and then I want to take what becomes familiar, and I want it to become powerful. I want it to become impactful. You see, we've been doing this series because I want some of the things that we experience here to all of a sudden become alive. I want you to see the robustness. So let me just set you up. What I want to talk to you about this morning, I look, look this way, I want to see your eyes. What I want to talk to you about this morning will be peculiar to a lot of you. 
it just will. Like, if you didn't grow up in church, you're going to be like, huh? You didn't what? You're going to say that this morning. And I'm okay with that if you are, because we just kind of like to talk about why did we do that? Some of you grew up in church, and what I'm going to talk to you about this morning, you didn't grow up in this church, and, and what I'm going to talk to you about, something we do here, is going to be kind of unique to you. It's going to be peculiar to you. You see, here's what we want to talk about. Jesus left us two pictures that he wanted us to perpetuate. Two pictures. I want you to remember this. There's two really poignant pictures in the Bible where Jesus says, I want you to do this. The first is baptism. We talked about that last week. So if you weren't here last week, it's important. I'd go online and and check it out. But baptism is simply this. It's my press conference that declares I've said yes to Jesus. So it's a press conference, and I'm letting everybody know I'm aligning my life with Jesus. I'm going public. I've already said yes to Jesus. I'm, I'm making that public. Not only that, but it's this powerful public picture that illustrates what happens the moment I say yes to Jesus. The moment I say yes to Jesus, I get a spiritual bath. I've been bathitized, so to speak. Okay? And so, so what baptism is, it's this picture that I've had a bath. I'm clean. All the guilt, all the stuff, I am clean in the eyes of Christ. Beyond that, the old me is gone. The new me is here. Jesus doesn't want to just remodel my old life. He wants to give me a new life, right? And so that's what what baptism is a picture, and then it pictures that I'm all in. But beyond that, it's this public ceremony that says I got a new relationship with God, that all of a sudden God is a father who invites me to his table, that Jesus is the big brother who saves me and leads me. The spirit of God lives inside of me. You see, baptism is a picture for everybody who said yes to Jesus. Let me pause for a minute. If you're in the room and you have said yes to Jesus, and you've never been baptized. I just want to say this gently, yet, yet very, very much with conviction. And that's this, why not? And why not next week? Like, we'd love to hear from you. You see, baptism is a picture. Nothing <laughs> mystical is going to happen to these people. They are publicly, it's a party. Listen, if we have some baptisms in here next week, we need a, we need a party, right? It's, it's a party. Because the angels in heaven rejoice when we say yes to Jesus. So when we celebrate somebody going public with that, it's like we're going to celebrate. But Jesus left us a second picture. So baptism is this picture. It's kind of like, I don't need to be baptized once. I say yes to Jesus. I don't got to keep getting rebaptized over and over again. But the second picture that he left us is something that he said, I want you to perpetuate. And it is something called communion. Now, for some of you in the room, you're like, what? What is that? You maybe never have heard the term. Others of you have heard the term, maybe you grew up in church, but you weren't sure what it was that they were talking about when they talked about communion. Some of you, listen, some of you are like, hey, I know all about communion. We did that in our old church. Listen close. Chances are very high, very high that you didn't do communion the way we're going to explain communion today in your old church. I'm just going to tell you that there's some uniquenesses to the way we picture communion here. And so as we unwrap this picture, it's a picture that Jesus gives us. And he says, hey, listen, I want you to perpetuate this. He never says how often. I get asked this all the time. Some of you grew up and you did communion all the time, right? Every week you did communion. It's like, were we supposed to do it? Did the Bible say? This is all he said. As often as you do it, as often as you do communion, there's several things I want you to know. Now, here's the deal. Communion. I want you to get this down and then we're going to fly. Communion, listen close, is not a ceremony, it's not just simply a service that we celebrate. It's not just a worship service. Listen, listen. It's a ceremony that paints a picture of Jesus. 
Communion is all about Jesus. Think about it. We call it communion because it's around Jesus that we have a common union. And therefore, we form this unique community around Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Communion isn't this like churchy word. What's that mean? We have this common union. The, the, the ground is even at the cross around the person of Jesus. We are a community of Jesus. We're brothers and sisters because of Jesus. We're invited to the same table because of Jesus. And so communion is a ceremony that paints the picture of Jesus. Here's what Jesus was interested in in communion. That you paint a picture and don't forget the picture. And that you paint, listen, this is so important for the rest of what we're going to talk about, a complete picture of who I am. I'm going to say it again. Jesus was interested in communion that you and I get a complete picture of who he is. Why is that important? I'm going to tell you why that's important. Because the picture you have of somebody determines the attitude you have towards them and the response you'll have with them. I'm going to say it again. The picture you have of somebody will determine the attitude you have towards them and the response that you have towards that person. Here's what I mean by that. I know in this room... Some of you have an incomplete picture of me. I am sure of that. I've talked to some of you. Here's what I mean by that. For some of you, this is the... No, no, go backwards. You skipped one. I totally took my line, right? For some of you, uh, this is the picture you have of me, right? You have a picture of a guy who talks to you every Sunday, and that's where it ends. I had a little kid ask me a couple weeks ago. This is no lie. This is what he asked me. He said, do you live at the church? That's what he asked me. He thought, well, my entire job was here. And he thought, you must live here. And you just wake up Sunday and talk to us, go back to bed and wake up next Sunday and talk to us. You know, I, that's the picture you have, right? But the truth is, I'm not just, I love being one of your pastors. I love the opportunity to teach you. But this is only part of who I am because I also am a husband. Some of you, I had somebody ask me this. In fact, some of you have been very, very astute, and you've noticed that I begin wearing a wedding ring. Raise your hand if you notice that I begin wearing a wedding ring. Some of you noticed that, right? I had somebody ask me, are you married? They asked me that a couple of weeks ago. Yes, I'm married. I've been married for 28 years to that beautiful woman. Then somebody said, why doesn't she come to church? I said, she does. Get off her back. Amen? <laughs> In fact, if you have a baby, you see her every week, or you will see her every week when you begin to drop your kiddo off at the nursery. That's what she does. She takes care of the kids and the team that takes care of the kids. And so for 28 years, I've been married. Now, here's what I know. If you don't have that picture of me, it's going to affect the way you relate to me. And I tell people all the time, we've been married 28 years with all the things that go into a marriage. I have people that come into my office, want to talk to me about their marriage struggles. I look at them and say, you know, I'm married and my wife and I have struggled. And they look at me like, you have? You're the preacher. You guys don't struggle. I have people come in and say, we fight. And I'm saying, yeah, Jennifer and I fight. We're really, really bad at it sometimes. And like, you do? Yeah. Because here's the deal. If you don't have that picture of me, you're going to have an incomplete response. You're going to have a different, inaccurate attitude. Not only that, but I, I'm a dad, right? I got three kids. I don't just got three kids. I got a beautiful daughter-in-law with those three kids, right? And we found out just a few weeks ago that there's another kid, and I'm going to be a granddad. That's part of the picture of who I am. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Um, but, but that's part of the picture of who I am. But I'm not just a husband. I'm not just a dad. I also am a son, in this picture is my mom in the pink and my mother-in-law in the black, right? I'm a son, and I'm a really, really good son-in-law. You can ask my mother-in-law who comes here, right? 
Yeah, but it's part of who I am. It's, it's, it's part of the complete picture. I am a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a son. I'm a friend. I pay bills. I get grumpy. I like to eat. I stink when I sweat. All those things, right? That's part of the complete picture of who I am. Here's the deal. Why am I telling you that? Because when we gather to celebrate communion, we're not just doing a service. We're painting a picture of Jesus. And he wants us to paint a complete picture because many of us, many of us have an incomplete or an inaccurate picture of who he is. And it affects the way we respond to him and the attitude we have towards him. And communion, all communion does is reminds me of the complete picture of who Jesus is. And some of what I want to share with you this morning, some of you sitting here right now, some of you sitting here right now need to hear because you have an incomplete picture of Jesus. And the picture of communion, I think, begins to come to life in a unique way in Luke 22. You have it open in your laps. I got to get you caught up to speed where we're at because in Luke 22, there's some interesting things happening. Luke 22, Jesus is hanging out with his followers and they're celebrating something called the Passover meal. So as they celebrate this Passover meal, if you're somebody who's like, this is my first time, you're like, what is that? Let me explain that. For the Jewish people, that was like the 4th of July picnic. Like it was celebrating the fact that they were emancipated from Egypt. And so every time they would get together and celebrate the Passover, they would remember God delivered us. God delivered us from Egypt. It like had, it had huge ramifications to them. And so they would remember what happened in the past. But on this particular occasion, Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And he's got them all in a circle. And they're having this meal together. And as they have this meal together, he said, listen, this meal is going to be different than all the rest that we've ever had together. Because here's the deal. I want to institute a new picture. And I want this meal not simply for you to think about what happened in the past, but I want from this moment on for you to think about what's going to happen in the future. Let me show you what I mean. Look at your Bibles, Luke 22. Look at verse 14. Here's what it says. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. You're like, that's weird. That's the way they ate back then. They would have been reclining at the table, first century, Middle East. And he says to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it, what? This meal. Guys, stay here with me. It, this meal, finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. During this Passover meal where they were thinking about what happened back here, Jesus, who don't miss this, who Jesus, the same Jesus who said, I'm a king, and I'm coming to establish my kingdom. That Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he's saying, listen, this meal is going to find its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. This meal is going to have significant future ramifications. Jesus is saying, I want every time for you to gather around this meal for you to think about a future meal. In fact, you can go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and they begin calling this meal the Lord's Supper. You can check me on it. You can see if I'm accurate. That's what they began calling it. It was simply the Lord's Supper. And they would gather around a meal that pointed to a future meal. Now, begs the question, what's the future meal? Well, the future meal is found in the last book of your Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. And here's what it says. 
Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty oceans and the crash of loud thunder. Everybody look here a second. It's going to be loud. Amen? But like worship's going to be loud in heaven. Can I get an amen? Yeah, amen. Say amen. It's going to be loud, okay? I got a verse for it. Here we go. And we're going to be singing, praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Lord Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let's give honor to Jesus. That's him. For the time has come, here it is, for the wedding feast of the Lamb. There's this wedding feast, and it's the wedding feast of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus is the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. Now you're with me? And he added, these are true words that come from God. Here's the picture. Jesus in, in Revelation 19, we did a series on this a few years ago. You can go on and check that out. But here's the deal. Jesus is the king who is the groom who's throwing a wedding party. And he's invited his bride. Who's his bride? All of those who've said yes to Jesus. His bride is every last person who said yes to Jesus. It's the church. And he's invited his bride. So this is talking about at the end of time, Jesus is sitting at the head of the table. He's got this huge meal and he's invited his bride. Every last person who's ever said yes to Jesus is sitting there with Jesus, the groom and the king. That, my friends, is a powerful picture. But listen, it gets better than that. Because in Revelation 19, and you check me on this, it says that Jesus is not only the king who's the groom, But if you keep reading it, it says that the king who is the groom is also a warrior who is the judge. And I love when you get to Revelation 19. Every man in this room, look up here a second. Every man, I want you to look up here. Because it gives one of the most powerful descriptions of Jesus. That so many times we have an incomplete picture of Jesus. He's got feathered hair, these deep blue eyes, and he looks like a wimp. That's not the picture of Jesus. You go to Revelation 19. My favorite picture of Jesus is Revelation 19, 16, and here's what it says. On Jesus' robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And you read the rest of that chapter, and it talks about Jesus the warrior who's going to come and set everything right, and he's going to make everything new. That's a good day. And that's the picture of Jesus. And that's what communion is about. Communion, first and foremost, I want you to write this down, reminds me that Jesus is the king, and he's coming back for me. See, when we celebrate communion here, we have a simple meal. Some of you are like, you do? We didn't do that where I was. We do. So we have crackers and fruit. It's simple. Like we're not looking to throw a, you know, a buffet out there. It is symbolic. We have a simple meal. You're like, why do you have a simple meal? Because Jesus said, hey, listen, when you guys gather together to have this meal, we're not looking back at the Passover. We're looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the wedding feast of the Lamb. There's a time coming. He said, I don't want you to ever forget that. I don't want you to ever miss the fact that Jesus is the king who paid the price for his bride, and he's the warrior. He's the judge. He's going to set everything right. 
Look here a second. Some of you, that picture, whether you've ever participated in communion that had that in it or not, that picture is what you need today. You know why? Because in your life, it feels like Satan's winning. In your life, it feels like Satan's winning. In your life, it feels like I can't see my way out. And if you're somebody who said yes to Jesus, can I tell you something? This is good news. The last chapter has not been written yet. That Jesus is simply saying, I know how this thing ends. Jesus is the king and he delivers us from sin, Satan, and can we just say it, even ourselves. And the picture of communion is this powerful picture where Jesus says, don't forget that. Don't ever forget that. Even though it looks like Satan has the upper hand right now, I don't want you to forget that I am the king. Some of us in the room need that picture right now today because it feels like Satan's got the upper hand. I would venture to say this. I'm going to say something to you that I, I believe with all my heart. It is a picture that the church, you ready? The church in the United States of America needs now more than ever. You want to know why? Because when I read this picture, it is Jesus the groom who is the king and around the table is every last person who's ever said yes to Jesus. They find a common community around the person of Jesus. Every last person who's ever said yes to Jesus. You know what that means? That means men and women. That means rich and poor. That means young and old. You know what that means? That means black and white. That means Asian and Hispanic. That means Republican, Democrat. That means Buckeye fans and Michigan fans all around the same table. Can I get an amen in the room? That's what it means. You see, communion isn't this frilly religious service. That's not what it is. It's this powerful picture. It's like, whoa, we have this common union because of Christ, and we have this community of Jesus that centers around him bringing to the same table people who maybe otherwise wouldn't have been. It's a powerful picture. So communion reminds me Jesus is the king, and he's coming back for me. It's at this point that the story gets kind of funny in Luke 22. In Luke 22, don't forget Jesus having a meal with his disciples. And some of you in the room know how hard it can be to try to have a serious talk at the dinner table with your kids. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Anybody feel that, know that? You're trying to talk about something serious and they're throwing food at each other. Listen, listen, don't make the Bible too sterile. I love how raw the Bible is because that's what we see going on here. Jesus is having this serious conversation. They're celebrating the Passover. And in Luke 22, something fascinating happens. Verse 24, look what it says. It says, a dispute arose among them, the followers of Jesus, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Can we just say that's interesting? <laughs> I mean, these guys are sitting at the table. Jesus is like, hey, now listen, I want to tell you. And we've got this thing going on. And over here are these guys, maybe Philip, Bartholomew, John, James. like, hey, you know, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I've done more than you. I've done better things than you. I'm greater than you. And they're having a fight. And Jesus is trying to have this serious conversation. And so he speaks into their conversation, verse 26. He says, listen, the greatest ones among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? 
Is it not the one who's at the table, but I'm among you as one who serves? He looks at him and says, listen, you guys got it all messed up. They're fighting about who's the greatest. And he's like, you don't even, greatness is serving. You want to be great, become the least. You want to become great, serve. Like he looks at him and he's like, you, you, you're kind of missing the point. You're fighting over who's the greatest. You're fighting on who's going to sit on what throne and whatever. And you're missing the point. He no sooner gets done with this. And then he's got old Pete sitting right here. And he looks at Pete. And he says this, Simon, Simon, that's Peter's name. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Guys, go here with me. Read the Bible in color. She's having this meal. It's like, can we just have this meal? It's a solemn moment. They're fighting over who's the greatest. And he looks at Peter and he's like, Satan kind of would like to sift you guys as wheat. Not sure all that means, but it's not good. But I've prayed for you, he says, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Now look at this. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Everybody look here. He looks at Simon. He says, I've prayed for you. And he says, when you've turned back, I want you to strengthen your brothers. You know what that assumes? That Simon turned away. That assumes Simon, Peter, turned away. And if you're Peter, you're like, what are you talking about? So that's exactly what Peter does. He says, Lord, you think I'm going to turn away, but... I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to die with you. And at this meal, he looks Peter in the eyes. This is so powerful to me. He says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny three times that you know me. You're going to be embarrassed of me. A little girl's going to ask you if you are one of my friends. And you're going to say, I don't even know what you're talking about. Are you with me in this meal? These guys are fighting over who's the greatest. Peter's sitting there and Jesus knows, you know something? You're going to be embarrassed in a few hours at my darkest moment. You're going to be embarrassed to say you even know me. That's not all. Because if you read this account in the book of John, these guys are fighting over who's the greatest. Peter's there. He's going to be embarrassed that he even knows him. And it says in the book of John that Jesus knew that sitting right here, sitting right there, was a guy named Judas. And that Jesus knew that Satan had put it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus for 30 measly pieces of silver. And it's in the middle of this meal. Go here with me, guys. John 13 says, in the middle of this meal, these guys fighting, Jesus correcting them. Peter, you're going to be embarrassed. This guy's got change jingling in his pocket. He's like, I'm going to betray Jesus. That Jesus stands up. And he takes off his outer cloak, sets it aside. And then John 13 says that he takes a towel and he wraps that towel around his waist. And then something profound and powerful happens. Because at that moment, that Jesus, the one who is the king, the one who is the greatest knelt in front of those who were arguing about who was the greatest. And he began to wash their feet. The ones who thought they were the greatest are having their feet washed by God with skin on, the one who is the greatest. He got up from washing their feet. And John 13 says he came over here and he knelt in front of the one who had the change jingling in his pocket, the one who would betray him into the hands of those who wanted to arrest Jesus. 
And the Bible says he began to lap the water and began to wash Judas' feet. Let that sink in. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be washing that dude's feet if I knew what he was doing. I'd be putting that basin on his head. How about, amen? You with me? Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He begins to wash Judas' feet. And then he stands up. You can almost imagine the room is about as quiet as this one right now. And he makes his way to Peter. And he comes and he kneels in front of Peter. And Peter says, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, you don't understand right now what I'm getting ready to do, but you will later. And it leads to a fascinating dialogue that Jesus and Peter have. Because Peter says, uh-uh. Peter says this, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus says something interesting. He says, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. All of a sudden, Peter's like, this isn't about dirty feet. <laughs> like, unless I, what? I love Peter because then he's like, well, if that's the case, <laughs> he's like, then why would we just stop at the feet? Can we do the hands in my head as well? Let's just take a bath, right? I'm going to jump in the basin, right? You with me? I love Peter. Listen, Jesus answered, those who've had a bath, bathetized, need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean, and you are clean, though not all of you. I know what this dude over here has got up his sleeve. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. And so when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place. And then he looked at him, and he said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that's what I am. But now that I, your teacher and Lord, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Listen, listen. You got to go here with me. Communion is a reminder to me, and it reminds me that Jesus is the Lord who right this minute, right this minute is kneeling in front of me with a basin of grace. You see, when Jesus knelt in front of his followers, when he knelt in front of his disciples, there was this powerful picture. God stooping to wash their feet. And there was something powerful going on there. Certainly there was this humility. God serving them. Certainly there was this powerful picture of a servant. But li listen, guys, listen. There is way more going on here than just Jesus showing us what a servant looks like. This is a profound picture of mercy and an invitation to intimacy. He looks at Peter and he says, if we don't do this and if we don't have this kind of relationship, you have no part with me. What is he telling Peter? Listen, he's saying that when you've had a bath, you don't have to keep having a bath, spiritually speaking, over and over again. When you get saved and say yes to Jesus, I don't got to keep having getting bathetized. But he's saying this, that even after you say yes to Jesus, sometimes you do things you shouldn't and don't do things you should. Anybody relating with me in the room? 
Can I get a real quiet amen? Yeah. Not too loud, right? And all Jesus wants them to know is this. What in the world do I do when I begin to struggle? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. And I got this bad attitude. I'm a Christ follower. And I can't seem to forgive this person. I'm a Christ follower. And I got this secret little habit or vice. What do I do? Maybe I cover it. Maybe I run from it. Maybe I pretend it's not there. And all Jesus is saying is this. Don't pretend like your feet don't stink. Tracking? He's saying that when there's things in my life that all of a sudden begin to create dirt, remember that Jesus is kneeling in front of me with a basin of grace. And he simply says this. When there's things that happen in your life, the place, the place where I want you to come is to the basin of grace because wrapped around my waist is a towel of forgiveness. You see, 1 John says it this way. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. He's writing to Christians here, Christ followers. It's interesting. He says the truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word isn't in us. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he's like, I want you guys to keep doing this. Why? Because I don't want you ever to forget that I'm the Lord that's kneeling in front of you. When things go left of center, when all of a sudden you do things you shouldn't do that you know in your life and there may be secret and your feet start to sink, spiritually speaking, Jesus, God in the flesh, literally has a basin of grace and a towel of forgiveness. You see, that's why the most peculiar part of our communion service here at Grace Church is we wash each other's feet. You're like, yeah, what? <laughs> I remember a buddy of mine that I coached football with. He was about two of me, and his name was Rocky, and he looked like a Rocky. And he said yes to Jesus, and he got baptized, and man, he was like all in. He was like passionate, like, yeah, man, I'm going to follow Jesus. And like, and he said, I got baptized, and I'm ready to come to communion, Dan. Like, what do you guys do at communion? And I'm like, oh, wow. And I said, well, man, we have this little meal. He's like, man, I like to eat. I'm all about that. You know, I'm like, cool. You know, it's what it means. And then we celebrate the bread and the cup. We're going to talk about that. He said, yeah, we used to do that when I grew up, man, in the church. I would, you know, and this, that, and the other thing. And then I said, and we were like that. And I kind of went like that. And he said, I couldn't hear you. What'd you say? And I said, we wash each other's feet. And he said, you do what? Just like that. And I said this to him. I said, I want you to come. Even if you don't participate. I know it seems weird. I think it was weird to the disciples. I think they were like, huh? And yet there's something beautiful and profound that happens. You see, I will tell you this. Why do we wash each other's feet? I'm just going to be simple with, with this. In a community, like whose feet do I have to wash? You can choose. Come with your friend. My wife has washed mine. I've washed hers. I will tell you this. That every time I sit in that chair like this with my feet exposed, something humbling about that, to watch as my wife kneels and begins to wash my feet. 
And all of a sudden, I begin remembering that the only way that I'm ever going to have any kind of solution to the sin in my life, and I have plenty of it, is if I humbly place my life in this basin of grace. I got some stinky attitudes, guys. I, I, I got some things in my life that I wish I did that I, that I don't do. And every time I stand there, I, it's, it's absolutely humbling to me to watch my wife or whoever else wash my feet. I grew up, and, 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 and I remember when they used to wash feet, everybody used to, I remember my mom used to say, make sure your feet are clean tonight, we have communion, right? Because you're going to wash each other's feet, you know. I've stopped doing that, so if you ever have a chance to wash my feet, like there's something about a little toe jam in there that just reminds me of the reality. I'm just being honest, I'm just saying, because you know something? You know something? There's some stinky parts to my attitude, to my life. There's things I don't do that I should do and things that I do do that I shouldn't do. And it reminds me every time I watch somebody wash my feet that I have a Lord who in His grace and mercy is kneeling in front of me and is willing to forgive me. You see, sometimes it's my own pride. It's my own pride that wants to run around spiritually speaking with stinkiness and think I don't stink. (laughs) There's something else profound when we wash each other's feet. Because normally what happens is we change seats. (laughs) And in this case, if my wife were to come and sit in the chair, then I kneel. And I begin to wash her feet. And it reminds me of something. That I have the opportunity to extend to others the same forgiveness that I've experienced from God. And in my relationships with my wife, with my friends, with my staff, I have the opportunity to walk around with a basin of grace, so to speak, and a towel of forgiveness. Every last spouse in this room, I want you to listen to me. Because I know some of you are struggling. I already know that. You will never serve your spouse more than when you kneel with a base basin of grace, and offer them a forgiveness they don't deserve. You will never serve them more like Jesus. Communion is a powerful picture. Now, I'll tell you this. If you come to communion like, you're going to make me, don't make anybody do anything. You can come sing, and, and it's a worship service is what it is, guys. It's about Jesus. And if you're like, man, I don't feel comfortable, didn't do that, come watch, just like I told my friend Rocky. Can I tell you about my friend Rocky? He came to that first one, watched, and he never missed a communion service after that. Like, isn't it weird? Kind of. I think it was weird for them. I think it was weird. I think Peter was like a lot of us. You ain't doing nothing to me. <laughs> and Jesus is like, man, I think you're going to miss something. It's a picture of this invitation to have this intimacy with Jesus. You know what? I think some of us forfeit intimacy with Jesus because we won't acknowledge our stinkiness inside. Jesus said, I'm the king of kings coming back. I'm the Lord kneeling in front of you. There's one more picture. There's one more picture. Remember this, for the sake of time, can we just fly through this? That it's Passover. So here's what that means. Here's what that means. It means that you could probably hear the bleeding of sheep. 
You know why? Because they would have sacrificed back in that day sheep and lambs and all that kind of stuff, right? And so you could hear, bah, bah, you bleeding of sheep. And it's in the middle of that where all these sheep, that's a bad sheep impression, somebody's laughing. But, but you could hear in the middle of all that, Jesus stood up and said this in Matthew. He took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, I want you to eat this. This is my body. Symbolism. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it and he gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it. Why? This is my blood. And it confirms the covenant between God and his people. My blood, it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. You see, here's what I can tell you and then we'll be done. Jesus stood and he broke that bread and he handed it to his friends. They took the cup and he passed it around. He said, I want you to, as you celebrate this meal and have this communion... As you break bread together to remember my body and my blood. Because in a few short hours, they're going to take Jesus and arrest him. They're going to falsely accuse him. They're going to strip him of his clothing, beat him almost unrecognizable, stuff a crown of thorns on him, nail him to a cross, have him drop that cross into a hole, and there he would die between two thieves. And you know that already. You know the story. You've watched the movie. But the big question is why? The question that is profound is why. And one of my favorite passages of all the Bible, you ought to write it down, make it one of yours, is Isaiah chapter 53. Here's the answer to that. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, Jesus was acquainted with the deepest grief, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Every last one of us have, like sheep, gone astray. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led just like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent, before its shears, he didn't open his mouth. He was unjustly condemned. He was led away, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him cause him grief because of his experience my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he'll bear all their sins i want you to write this down communion reminds me that jesus is the lamb who died instead of me and every time we break bread and drink of that cup i'm reminded of the fact that he took my punishment that he paid my price See, here's what I know. This room is big enough that there's some of you in this room who've never said yes to Jesus. Like, like I'm pretty sure of this. You already know you're a sinner. I, not too many people I meet with say, I don't do anything wrong. Most people know they do things wrong. And yet we all try to find ways to fix it. And some of you might be trying to cover it up. Some of you might be trying to, 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 to make it better with religion. Some of you might be trying to to, to ignore it, pretend it's not there, and Jesus said, hey, listen, stop whatever you're trying and start trusting what I did. That when I died, I died for you. And everything, everything in your life that separates you from a relationship with God, 
Everything in your life that's stinky and sinful and wrong, I died for. And this morning can be your day of salvation. This morning can be the day you say yes to Jesus. You can do it right there in your seat. We're not going to do any music. There's no emotional plea. None of that. I've asked particularly for none of that this morning. I want to talk to you as reasonable people. And I want to say, if you've never said yes to Jesus, why not? Like, I'm really religious. I'm saying, have you said yes to Jesus? I'm a good person. I'm saying, have you said yes to Jesus? If you've never said yes to Jesus, why not? Today can be the day you say, I'm a sinner. I already know that, but I didn't realize how much God loves me and that Jesus died for me. And today I want to say yes to Jesus as my Savior, yes to Jesus as the leader of my life. A lot of you have said yes to Jesus then can I ask you this before I close? Is your picture of Jesus incomplete, maybe even inaccurate? You see, here's what I know. If I don't have a picture of Jesus as the king who's coming for me, I'm not going to live with hope. I'm going to live like this is all there is. I'm going to live like this is all there is. I'm going to live like I got to write the last chapter. And he said, no, you got to know something. I know how this thing ends. And even though it looks like Satan has the upper hand, I'm going to tell you how this thing is completed. And Jesus is the king of kings. And for some of us in this room, that's the picture we need this morning. There's others of you, and you know you got stinky feet, spiritually speaking. You're like, I don't know what to do. I keep covering it up. I keep trying. And Jesus like, I'm the Lord. I'm kneeling right in front of you. And I'm inviting you to come and confess it. Come into agreement with me on it. And maybe this morning, the very thing you need to do... Maybe the, before you even have lunch is for you to go and begin talking to the Lord that kneels in front of you and say, you know, I've been involved in some things I shouldn't. I've got attitudes in me that no one else knows, but I'm struggling with, and I want to dip my feet, so to speak, in this basin of grace. And there's others of you that you've said yes to Jesus. And, and if, can we just be honest? I think it's better if we're honest that this whole Jesus loves me and died for me Maybe it's become stale, too familiar. And yet somehow this picture of Jesus is the fact that he is the lamb who died for everything I deserve and could never earn. And when that picture begins to pop, all of a sudden it changes the entire trajectory of my life. It's my purpose, it's my power, it's my identity, it is everything. See, here's what I can tell you. What's communion? Why do you guys do communion that way? Because it's a powerful picture of Jesus, the King, the Lord, the Lamb. So I want you to write this down. And then I have a little invitation that I want to make personally to you. September 5th. I want you to write this date down, September 5th. So Wednesday night, We are going to celebrate communion together. It is going to be a worship service. If you're here and you've said yes to Jesus, communion only makes sense to those who've said yes to Jesus, right? He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he's the lamb who took my place. If you said yes to Jesus, I want to personally invite you to come and celebrate communion with me and the pastoral staff as we celebrate and worship him together. Listen, I want to just... But Dan, (laughs) that feels weird. Get it? I get it. Like, let's not pretend that it doesn't and won't. And you don't have to do anything. Come and sing and watch and observe first time. 
But if I told you this, communion is a service where we celebrate Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Lamb of God, I would look at you and say, why wouldn't you? Because we are a common community around the person of Jesus. And I would love, this is no guilt, I would love to celebrate our Lord, our King, our Lamb with you on September 5th. So Father, I pray as we get this powerful, complete picture of who Jesus is, that it would change the trajectory of how we decide to live, that we live with hope, that we recognize the grace that you extend to us, and that we remember the incredible price paid for our salvation and that we never forget. And so, God, I'm so grateful for Jesus. He is the only one that deserves our praise. He is the, 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 the center of our attention. He's the one we applaud this morning. He is the one we'll worship forever. And so it's Jesus that we've come to make much of and turn the lights really bright on. I pray in this room for friends who maybe have never said yes to Jesus that today would be that day, that today would be that day they say yes to Jesus. God, I'm so grateful that you gave us this picture to remind us and please forgive us for our tendency to forget and live as though we forget who Jesus really is. I pray this in his name.